0: Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please, contribute generously to Future Primitive.
1: And broadcasting. It's KVSF 101.5. You're listening to Collected Words, a weekly program brought to you by Collected Works Bookstore and Coffee House, your source for all things literary. My name is Cecile Lipworth, and I'm the Managing Director at V Day, and I'm always very honored to be hosting the show. Um, and this morning, I have a really extra special guest and friend in the, in the studio with me, Joanna Harcourt Smith. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Cecile. I'm so happy you're here this morning with us. And um, we've, we've known each other for a little while through our work. And uh, today we're going to be talking about your incredible memoir, book, Tripping the Bardot with Timothy Leary, my psychedelic love, love story, which I loved. I absolutely loved. And anyone looking for Christmas gifts... A book is always a wonderful way to go. And Joanna's book is exceptionally uh, interesting, exciting. I kind of last night, as I was thinking about the interview this morning, I was like, it's very James Bond (laughs) a little bit. Uh, There's lots of intrigue, there's lots of mystery, there's lots of uh, cloak and dagger, um, lots of uh, glamour, actually. Um, And we're going to talk all about that this morning.
0: That's great. I'm I'm so excited to be here with you.
1: Good. So, Joanna, tell us a little bit, first of all, the title of the book. What does it mean, Tripping the Bardo?
0: Okay, so I think I, I'm going to start by saying uh, good morning to all <laughs> you people out there. Santa Fe, I love Santa Fe. Santa Fe is my home, and... Uh, I'm sure everybody is keeping good and warm. (laughs) So let's take each word, the book being called Tripping the Bardo with Timothy Leary. So tripping, what would tripping be? Well, tripping is taking a journey, uh, going somewhere. And since the 60s, it's taken on another kind of meaning, which is something eccentric, something special, something something bizarre, something that might be happening in the mind. So tripping, a journey that might be happening in, in the mind. And then bardo. Bardo. What is a bardo? A bardo is the corridor, is the passageway that you go through in the Buddhist mythology. I love to call it mythology. Uh, All religions to me are mythologies. So in the Buddhist mythology, when you die for 49 days, you travel in uh, extraordinary places of transformation. A lot of them are very terrifying because... It's probably about transforming darkness. And when you come out of the Bardo, you might be reincarnated. You might begin another life. Okay. So my idea is that we go through many Bardo's in our life. And my time with Timothy Leary was a specific, humorous, dark, bizarre amazing bardo from which i came out another person
1: and into the light gradually
0: gradual it's a gradual awakening
1: right so so tripping the bardo thank you for explaining that because it was really interesting and you're right the whole book is about this journey this trip but let's talk about the man and the icon and the mythology of timothy leary um I mean I, without giving away the essence of the book but but you met Timothy um he he became a, an icon in the 60s for um drugs and specifically LSD um tell us a little bit of the the meeting the minds how you got there how you got to become his um the person that he, that really he he uh his interact i i don't want to give the book away but right, right. <laughs> although most yeah. people know but but that you became his person to, who really was the the person who was with him when he came back to the united states and went to jail and prison and you spoke out for him essentially
0: yes um his lover his paramour his common law wife his companion his uh, co-writer um Many, many things. So, let's see. I'll take you on a little journey. You know all that fabulous music, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, um, the Doors, Eric Clapton, all of that, all of that magnificent creativity that came about in the 60s and 70s. Well there was an explosion of creativity. And Timothy Leary was part of this explosion of creativity. He brought in one of the facets that created this explosion of change and amazing creativity. So I have always lived my life through synchronicity. I really believe that... uh, Life divulges the next step to you at every step. And uh, so I would say that my meeting, Timothy Leary, was a series of synchronicities, of coincidences, of serendipities that brought me to his door in um, November of um, 1972, a long time ago, For many people. (laughs) But, you know, stories are timeless. And this now has become a story. And it is a timeless story. So this man had been a psychologist at Harvard, at Berkeley University. uh, And he had been one of the first people to... uh, experiment with psilocybin mushrooms in Mexico and with LSD. And I would say that in my view, his greatest discovery was that the contents of our mind can be examined and can be changed and can be chosen through many, many, many different modes, one of them being psychology, treatment, and others being these psychological plants or medicines.
1: Which have been used for thousands of years by indigenous uh, communities around the world to it's take to a higher state of being. Many of them, the sangomas, the witch doctors, the um, shamans, mostly. Right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, really, uh, um, it doesn't have to be a LSD. The the planet, our mother, provides all the medicines that we need to, so to speak, clean up our acts, so we can have access to a more beautiful reality within ourselves and outside ourselves. So this Timothy Leary, he had left Harvard. He had taken the um, he, the travels to the east, like a lot of people. At that time, but very seriously, having read all the the tantra texts and the Buddhist texts and the Hindu texts, and he had been to um, to India and met with various gurus. And now it's 1972, and he's living in Switzerland, and he's a fugitive from the United States. He has been one of the only people to escape from prison in the United States. Why? Because he had been uh, condemned to prison for 001.1 gram of marijuana. How amazing is that? He had been condemned to 10 years in prison with no part. This is how it was. So he's a fugitive from prison. And I found him. And uh, he's my outlaw philosopher. I was always looking forward to answer my questions.
1: I'm sitting with Joanne Harcourt-Smith in uh, the studio and we're discussing this incredible book she's written and self-published, which we'll get to in a minute about self-publishing because it Anyway, we'll get to that. But it's an amazing book called "Tripping the Bardot" with Timothy Leary, my psychedelic love story. Joanna has just been telling us about her uh, meeting with Timothy, this this uh, the synchronicity. And and just before we broke, you said, um, you know, that you'd sort of been waiting or looking, or you were on that. And and I think I want to just talk a little bit about that and. You came from a life of privilege, um, born into the most famous hotel in Switzerland, probably in Europe, if I'm not... In the world, maybe. In the world. At that time, yes. Really, literally born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and yet, um, so much in the book obviously comes up about your upbringing and that. But the privilege, that's the piece I want to talk about. When you come from privilege, and, and I do too, and, and um, we're always, I think, well, those of us conscious <laughs> in privilege are looking for something other, for what the meaning is. Do you think that was part of the attraction to Timothy? Do you think that was what the synchronicity piece of it, that he happened to be there, you were looking? And, and do you think the privilege piece played into it at all?
0: Beautiful, beautiful question.
1: I think that the Privilege piece
0: uh, played in it enormously in the sense that what I was taught is you can talk to anybody in the world. You can find anybody. uh, No doors are closed to you. And that braided with the way it was at the time that really I was taught to find the man, I wasn't really given the uh, awareness that as a human being I could be anything. Uh, No, I was stamped with the second class uh, label that I'm a woman and that the way that I will get my answers and I will be fulfilled in the world uh, is by finding the alpha male.
1: And especially, I think, in Europe at the time, probably still today, as a woman, you find yourself by being married to a man, and especially in the privileged world and upper class world, very important piece.
0: So, going back to our previous uh, segment, this is why in my little 26 year old brain, it had to be both an outlaw because I wanted to get out of where I was. I mean, I was in an image of, I was, I was banging with my fists on the inside of my brain to get out of the conditioning that I had been given, because I felt it was not fair, it was not right, it was not a place that where I could stand in dignity. So I needed an outlaw, but I also needed a philosopher because I was also always attracted to the deeper questions of life.
1: And you said in your book, um, you said, and to quote, I followed him off that precipice and my family, nationality, and sanity were fragmented beyond recognition. You really stepped out of that entire upbringing, which is a really hard thing to do.
0: You know, uh, Cécile, the thing is, I I don't think we step out. I know I said those words, but all through the course of my life, I found myself at the edge of certain precipices, you know. found myself looking down like um, in the Sundance Kid, in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. No other place to go but jump. And I've found myself in that places in those places and I've jumped off. And it's life itself, or life herself, that pushes me off that precipice. And once I jump, everything is different.
1: I think that's true for many of us. We're often all brought to a precipice, but whether we choose to jump or not you know is the question like sometimes we do jump sometimes we don't jump because it seems so scary and 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 you know we're so afraid of what might happen ultimately as we know and sort of as we've learned in our lives there's when you do jump there's usually something to catch you there's usually something that helps preserve and catch and takes you to such an incredible new uh open destination an opening place I, i speak for myself but i having read the book i I think that's what happened. You jumped off the precipice. You had to go through that journey uh, to get to a different place in your life that was even more beautiful, even more awake, even more alive.
0: See, I've, I I feel and think exactly the same way as you. It's a road. For me, it's the road to authenticity. Right. That's the goal. That's my ambition. So... Um, I have worn many disguises in my life, and every time life pushes me off that precipice, that disguise disintegrates. It shatters into a thousand pieces. And then for a while, uh, my skin is raw. I walk around, and, and I have no costume, so to speak, to, uh, to hide in. But little by little, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no,
1: I just feel like I, I, it's a really interesting conversation because I wonder if sometimes we, it's what we have to go through. Like we wouldn't get to the place, a different place, a higher learning, a, a, a different perspective on life if we don't go through some of that ripping off of our skin. I don't know that it's so much a disguise as a necessity for us to take on different ways of being as we move through life do you know what i'm saying about that? I yes. Disguise guy seems like you're faking it. Like right. i don't know that we're, you know, it's just who we are at the time in order to get through that piece so that we move on to the next. It's just a matter of it's it's words.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, let's let's say um that the the soul invites itself to a fancy dress party. It, that's a beautiful
1: way of putting you it. You
0: see and so It's a disguise, but at the same time, it's a beautiful, beautiful costume. I just quickly want to read a quote that I picked up this morning that is so beautiful to me. It's by May Sarton. And it is, it is only when we can believe that we are creating the soul, that life has any meaning. But when we can believe it, and I do, and always have, then there is nothing we do that is without meaning, and nothing that we suffer that does not hold the seed of creation in it
1: that is beautiful, and we have to jump off the precipice to do that,
0: and we do often and we do <laughs> often and we do
1: um. So you started writing this book in 1972, you say, right? Really, when your experience started. First of all, as I said to you the other day, I don't even know how you remembered all the stories and the the lines. You did so much drugs (laughs) and so much alcohol. It's amazing that you really, um, you know, I admire that, that you kept those – that the story alive, and, and an important part of it is who you became and, and, and where you came from, um, which I'd love to get to after the next the break that we have to take in a little bit. But um. how did you really – did you write things down as it went? Did it take you really all these years to write it? How did it sort of – how did the book come to formation? Well, actually,
0: I, I started to write it in 1977, and – um because I had to live some of that story before I could write it. But, you see, I don't think we can transform unless we know our own story. And all of our stories are written in our skin, which will take you later, Take us later to another subject. All of our stories are stored. That's where it comes from. Our stories are stored within us. And much of what we forget sometimes is because we cannot face what we have lived. So recapitulation, I think, is a very important aspect of healing.
1: A cathartic aspect. Right. And storytelling, always so important. What I've learned in my work Uh, through V-Day is how storytelling has really uh, given women a voice to to heal heal. by telling their story, by standing up and saying, this is my story, this is what happened. It's not about asking for anything else, but to say, I need my voice to be heard through the story. And I want to go to a minute about self-publishing, really because... Your whole book and what we've been speaking about, what you just said about sort of having the confidence the, the, from, from privilege, um, and we spoke about that. But I think throughout your book, the, your courage and your strength um, and your determination um, really shows that, yeah, anyone can then go and self-publish a book. Because it does take a lot of courage and strength and determination to do that in this world where, in, where we are today with book publishing, with – People's uh, trying to get their work out and their voices heard. Um, so I just want to acknowledge and just say what an incredibly strong, brave, courageous, amazing, determined woman you are. And I feel very privileged to know you um, and honored. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. Thank um, you, Cecil.
1: So Joanna another thing in the book and I don't know we, we don't I don't want to talk too much about this but there was so much about the you know and stuff I didn't know I was growing up in South Africa but you know the the whole aspect when you came back and the government and um just the whole perspective on on the government's involvement in the drug the war on drugs as it's become now but the whole drug a situation was was really a fascinating piece for me not having grown up here not knowing about really very much I was very young about the Nixon years and all the stuff it was it seemed so um again I, I, it's sort of like the world of intrigue and mystery that we don't really very often talk about and know about sometimes because it's it's very much underground I guess is a word I'd like to say um What's your perspective on, how can we discuss that a little bit now?
0: Well, first I, I want to quickly pick up on um, your, um, your comments on self-publishing, which are beautiful. Uh, two major agents on two continents uh, felt they were going to make a lot of money with publishing companies selling my book and took it on, took on the story with great enthusiasm. They were not able to sell it. And um, it goes back to the second part of your comment about what I write about government and what was going on in the 60s and 70s with the Nixon administration and is still going on today and is known, quote-unquote, as the war on drugs. I... I have always been convinced that the political aspect of the stories that I lived are very, very important and need to be absolutely disclosed. And the transparency has to be brought to the way that um, this um, so-called drug situation has been dealt with by government. The so-called drug situation is really about the expansion of consciousness and the intelligence and the beauty of awareness. I am not saying that you need to take drugs to be aware and to see the beauty of the world. But what I am saying is that all the, the tools that we are given are to be used responsibly and are to be used for the good of the human race, for true spiritual growth, for true nurturing of each other so that we can widen our beings and see more and more how we are connected and how we can love each other and the world we live in. These things should have never been legislated. They should have been left to the care of doctors, scientists, women, 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 shaman, shaman women, left to the care of the people who could nurture the people who need healing. But yet this problem has been made a an almost military problem. It has been made into a f- big pharma, pharmacological... Money. Money, industrial uh, crime problem. And this has to stop.
1: Your book shed so much light on that piece for me, so I, I thank you for sharing that. I agree totally with that with what you're saying on that. So you brought up the issue of women. Excuse passion- me, I need to oh, inter- yeah. Yes.
0: I just want to say that the expansion of consciousness should not be left to priests or DEA or FBI or any government. Thank you. So you were talking about women.
1: You well no you were <laughs> actually. <laughs> um but it is something I want to bring up because the theme throughout your whole book is about women, really the essence of women, how women were treated, your own rape at the hands at 11 years old at the hands of your mother's chauffeur. Um and really your rediscovery of your power as a woman, I think. Um and, and so talk, tell us a little bit about what that really means for you. And at the beginning of the book, you honor so many women in your life who helped bring the book to fruition. Um, and not to say there weren't amazing men in your life, one who's sitting in the studio with us right now, who have helped that too. But let's talk a little bit about the issue of women, because that's how you and I met through our passion for uh, ending violence against women and girls.
0: Exactly. Violence was my daily diet when I was a child. I was beaten. I was raped. I was taken advantage of because I was a girl. I'm passionate about this. I know that this happens to men as well. And I love and admire you, Cecil, for your work about this subject. Thank you. Um, By the time I met Timothy Leary, um, I was a woman who thought that violence was the way to live. And I suppose now that we're talking, in this moment I'm realizing that this is probably why I attracted a story that has to do with the most violent powers on this planet. Through Timothy Leary, I visited the deepest, darkest prisons of the United States. I came in contact with probably the darkest violent powers there is. And I suspect at this moment talking with you that this had a lot to do with what I had to heal in myself. I thought, I was brainwashed into thinking that violence was the answer to any problem.
1: Sexual violence, general violence.
0: Yes, yes. Sexual violence and um, physical violence and verbal violence and emotional violence. And that the winners in this world were the people who were able to use violence and that violence attracted violence. And I have come to this extraordinary transformation where I have faced my own sexual abuse, I have faced my own physical abuse, and I have come to peace within myself. And I wish that in my life I will never answer to any situation in a violent way. And I have compassion and tenderness and love for all living things, but especially for those living things those living beings that have been sexually or physically or emotionally or in any way taken advantage of and i'm very um I'm very deeply emotional about this I would like to be able to take every child that was ever hurt in this way in my arms and I know you feel that same way
1: yeah I um, uh, uh, thank you for sharing and thank you for sharing your story as we said before it's so important when women come forward to share what happened to them because often especially with children they feel that their stories they can't come forward and tell their stories because they've often been threatened for if they come out and say that so thank you and thank you for Saying all that you have um at, at the time the at the time, and you write this in the book you know this that it was really the era of sex drugs and rock and roll sex played such an important part but and you said earlier, you know you had to peel the layers of your skin and you had to peel you know you had to have the rawness and I think part of what we 've discussed on occasion and even during the break was this peeling of our layers of our DNA what makes us up and what you've just said of releasing that violence you know you that was your experience and how do we really change that DNA within ourselves how do we really peel that layer of skin to change our perspective on life and and I really appreciate the way you've put it in the book and the the conversations we've had around that peeling those layers you
0: know the the other night We were speaking about, uh, I do a strip without a tease (laughs) in the book. Yeah. And in my own life right now, because I believe that the more we face each other with authenticity, the warmer we feel, the closer we feel. And I've given a great deal of thought to what's called the sexual revolution. And I think that perhaps it's the same thing. I mean, we had to strip each other by having um, un. It it was it was fun sex, but it might not have been loving sex. So it was uh, fun loving sex, but not love loving sex, and. Personally, I have realized uh, the emptiness of that. Uh, I've been stripped down to knowing that the only way that I want to make love is in the greatest tenderness, the greatest caring, and the deepest love. So in a certain way, it's as if as a civilization, we had to do this in order to really understand
1: yeah that. I mean I think what you just said sex without the love is just the f- trying to fill that space inside of us that feels so empty and it seems like the 60s and 70s with especially the 60s was a time when people were feeling that emptiness because they knew that change had to come in the world whether it was here with the uh, uh, racism issue in South Africa it was certainly in the early 60s with Sharpeville and what we were going through with apartheid, it was definitely a time people were searching for a different way of being. So maybe the empty sex was necessary as a filling of the whole, you know, filling of the the emptiness. But it brought to light, as you said, we had to strip ourselves down to find the next level. Joanna, what? We were just discussing the issue of of violence against women, your own abuse at the hands of a, a chauffeur, and actually many men emotionally physically Um, it takes time to tell your story Uh, many women I know have come forward 20 30 40 years later to tell their stories it's not an easy thing to tell your story how did you come about to tell that story and, and 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 that this was the right time to tell your story
0: well Timothy Leary, when I met him, was 53, and I was 26. And he was a world-renowned guru. Guru meaning that he was considered a teacher. He was considered a person of prestige, a, a man of knowledge. And this took total precedence over the fact that I was a 26-year-old woman. And believe it or not, this presence, this crushing presence, uh, lasted for a long time. Timothy Leary took this young girl to some very, very dark places. But yet, for a long time, I was the scapegoat of the scapegoat. I was the one blamed for Timothy Leary's actions. I was the one blamed for the story that you will read about in the book. And I was blamed because I was a woman. And for a very long time, the woman has always been the one who was scapegoated for everything. And so I was laughing with somebody the other day because they said, Oh, tripping the bardo with Timothy Leary and how I became a feminist. (laughs) But it's not how I became a feminist. It's how I became an authentic, empowered woman.
1: Wow. That's really beautiful. Very powerful. And that's very true. Our experiences lead to us. You know, I, I sort of. The word feminist just drives me nuts sometimes because it's a—it's just a term. It's not—it's not an authentic way of being. Often, who we are, it doesn't represent often the d- multi-dimensional facets of women around the world. That's what I think. Often, it's just a term lumped all women who stand up for women's rights are feminists, right. but it doesn't really go to the depth of who we are. And. Um. Sorry, lost my train of thought going on a rant about (laughs) feminism. No, uh,
0: may I say something? Yes. You see, I admire you and I admire the work of events. I more than uh, admire your work. It touches my heart and it brings tears of sorrow and joy to my eyes because all that I have learned has brought me to understand that our greatest most important commodity in life is our dignity. Whatever color we are, whatever sex we are, whatever social level we are, dignity is the greatest drug on earth. The taste of dignity is the greatest thing on earth.
1: That you've just—I think you've really hit a, a huge piece for us, as as I'm discovering through the work we're doing with One Billion Rising, and the work I've done for the last twelve years with Eve and with V-Day. There, you've just said the exact word that so many women have sat in rooms with us and said, "We just want respect. We just want dignity. We just want to know." People, people, to know us as human beings, not as women and as sex slaves and as violated people and survivors. We want that dignity of being human, of being seen as who we are. That's really beautiful, um, Joanna. In, I, I don't know if I read this in a on a review or something, but you also said that what what we really what you have found is important in the world is true kindness. Do you think you found true kindness in the world?
0: You know, um, true kindness is not something I have found. Uh, True kindness is a practice. And true kindness happens little, tiny, little bit at a time. True kindness is the joy that I play with a day at a time, from morning to night, I might make a mistake and be unkind, then I will get up again and I will think and feel about what is the way to practice kindness again and again and again. And I think kindness and dignity are total lovers. Totally. And they go together, and they love each other, and they love the world.
1: I am, have no words to say to that because I agree completely with that. I think that they go – I was, I was going to interrupt you and say kindness and dignity, the two things that most people want in the world. When you have kindness and love you, and, dignity, and you show someone the dignity that they, respect, that they are respected um, – there really is nothing else that can. Um, you were so much a part of One Billion Rising last year and what we did, and I, I do want to announce that we'll be doing it again on February 14th at the Roundhouse at, at noon. We'll be gathering in our thousands to rise, for, to rise, release, and dance, and really releasing our stories, releasing our uh, survivorship, releasing all the the, the threads that have held us t- uh, bound in our sorrow and our survivorship. But now we're releasing it. We're telling our stories. We're dancing. And we're demanding justice, specifically in New Mexico, for women who don't get the justice they deserve um, and globally around the world. Um, so I hope you'll join us again. I know you'll be front and center, yes. dancing and smiling yes. and being with us. And I just want to thank you deeply from the deepest bottom of my heart, A, for writing this book and giving me an opportunity to learn something new every day. Uh, Aaron Stern from the Academy of Love and Learning said all we can do is learn. Um, And I thank you for that, just learning rather than educating, but learning and teaching us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for being in the studio with me this morning. I really appreciate the time. And thank you for being a friend.
0: It's my joy and pleasure. And I just want to say one thing before we close. Um, Futureprimitive.org is my website. And every week we put up one interview with a fabulous visionary. Um, And goodbye. (laughs) I love myself and therefore I love you.
1: Thank you all for joining us this morning.